Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This episode is brought to you by Epsilon and their award-winning People Cloud Loyalty Solution. Personalization should be integrated into the entire customer experience, including your loyalty program. With this in mind, Epsilon recently released a guide outlining six key components that will put you on the path to personalizing the entire loyalty experience. This guide challenges you to do some housekeeping and reconsider how you think about your current and future loyalty personalization efforts. So, to download your copy of the report, visit epsilon.com forward slash let's talk loyalty. Hello and welcome to episode 153 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today's guest is a leading loyalty personality in New Zealand. Having built some fabulous loyalty propositions in his career to date, which includes Air New Zealand, Qantas, and now in the grocery retail sector for Countdown, which is a market leader in New Zealand and part of the Woolworths Group. Phil Devlin is head of strategic partnerships for Countdown, and he shared with me the simple value proposition that the Countdown program offers to its customers in New Zealand, as well as the power of some of the partnerships with the likes of AA Smart Fuel, who were also recently guests on the show. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Phil Devlin from Countdown New Zealand. So Phil, I am so happy that you're joining me today from New Zealand. How are you doing today? Uh, Really well, thanks, Paula. Yeah, yeah. I know you're still in a lockdown. So just wanted to, first of all, acknowledge that it's still a pretty tough time with the the COVID situation. Yeah, it is. And um, particularly my sympathy goes out to other working parents as well, um, trying to do your day job and and, and educating three children under 10 is um, is a, a whole lot of laughs. My goodness. Okay. Well, they they will love you all the more for it. I have no doubt, Phil. So listen, let's get straight into it. Um, I've been really, really excited to hear the the countdown story um, and your entire loyalty career, I know, has some really interesting case studies that we're going to talk through. So as usual, let's just kick off with your favorite loyalty statistic and then uh, take it from there. Cool. Thanks. Um, Well, the thing that always intrigues me about loyalty in New Zealand is just the the sheer penetration that that loyalty has into um, our society. So, and that's best borne out by the fact that ninety five percent of New Zealanders over the age of sixteen are members of at least one loyalty program. And and when you when you think of the total number of New Zealanders coming in at just a fraction over five million, mm-hmm. we've got you know a minimum three and a quarter million engaged in loyalty programs, and and that's a, just a, a, a tremendous um, example of how, of how loyalty impacts all aspects of our society. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, I'm going to to credit you guys with doing an excellent job, Phil. Um, And I also, you know, you've prompted me to think about, I wonder what the penetration is for me in Ireland, because actually Ireland and New Zealand are very similar, I think, in terms of maybe size and mentality. So I'm hoping to get comparable stats from my country, but that's amazing. (laughs) 
Yeah, thanks. And we, we, we do look to Ireland a little bit in, in terms of um, that demographic um, population as well. Another small country um, punching above yeah. their weight and, um, and really leading the way in so many areas. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Great stuff. So tell me um, the, the first big role that you got involved with, Phil, from a loyalty perspective, I know was with Air New Zealand. And you shared with me some of the extraordinary work that you were doing there. Um, so maybe just give us an introduction to that program and some of the concepts that you developed, because I actually don't think I've heard or seen anything like this in, uh, in any other market. So, so, so maybe tell us that story. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I really enjoyed my time in New Zealand and it's uh, um, a tremendous business um, that really um, appeals to the hearts and minds and puts a lot of pride into New Zealanders as well as the national carrier. Um, mm-hmm. I joined in 2013 after um, a five-year stint at the Warehouse Group, which is another one of our listed retailers. And and it was at a really interesting time for Air New Zealand. They were transiting from being a, a classic frequent flyer program into a, um, a loyalty and data-driven program. Mm-hmm. And, and what came with that was um, a, a really um, significant piece of market analysis to articulate where household spend was occurring in New Zealand and, and how that would translate into potential loyalty opportunities. And we mm-hmm. we looked at um, at households across the country and um, analysed the, the percentage of spend that was going into categories that weren't penetrated by loyalty and then looked to bring mm-hmm. a loyalty proposition into those areas. And mm-hmm. and we, we went into luxury cars with Audi. We went into um, real estate with Baileys, which is one of our, our, our national real estate providers as well. So mm-hmm. list your house with Baileys and earn Air New Zealand AirPoints, um, wow. purchase a new Audi, earn Air New Zealand AirPoints, and and really um, grew the program quite significantly through um, that business development activity over a period of years. So um, mm. just a, a really exciting time to be with the business, um, met some tremendous people, great leaders, um, mm. visionaries, and um, yeah, worked for some courageous executives that, that backed the team and, and believed in the loyalty proposition. And mm. and. Specifically for for Air New Zealand, that the program is a little bit different to other uh, aviation programs, and that you um, you earn dollars as opposed to miles. Um, you you earn them by 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 flying with Air New Zealand, but they they represent as dollars, and that gives you a really um, yeah. transparent um, mechanism yeah. for redemption as well. So um, yeah, fabulous program. Okay. Um, a lot of really really fantastic people. Wow. And and I, the particular piece, I suppose, that I was excited to hear was the real estate piece. Um, and it's almost like I, I'm not sure why other markets or maybe I'm just not aware of it, Phil. But um, if I understand you correctly, so it's the seller, as you said, the listing with the real estate agency. So so that's the funding model there. But is it your experience that this is something that's been executed in other markets or or is this something that you think actually was quite new to do, you know, in, in the New Zealand market? It was certainly the first um, offering of its kind in the New Zealand market. Um, I'm not aware that there's too many other markets that are doing it, but we, we have a, a unique kind of setup in New Zealand where um, the Kiwi dream has always been to own your own property. So there's a lot of um, effort yeah. goes in at a societal level to, to house ownership. And, mm-hmm. and we have some of the most expensive um, real estate prices in the world um, relative to income. And um, and so therefore the market's very um, uh, concentrated. And um, 
real estate companies are looking constantly for points of differentiation. And that's mm. uh, um, the, the the idea of um, linking up with um, two national brands, um, mm. Air New Zealand Airpoints and, and Baileys, to yeah. to offer up points on, on sales really help to differentiate them um, yeah. in terms of their own wow. um, competitors. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And did they get it straight away, Phil? I'm guessing they did because of the strength of the Air New Zealand brand. But as you said, it was a pretty innovative concept at the time. Yeah, it, it it was picked up pretty well straight away, and um and that is down um in part to the reach of the New Zealand brand and also the reach of the Bailey's brand as well. They're a acknowledged mm. market leader here yeah. in New Zealand, and yeah. um the the concept is really simple, and the the idea of getting Airpoints dollars for for doing that is um was an easy thing to articulate in campaigns as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's the immediate customer understanding, which I always think as loyalty professionals, we, we can easily overcomplicate things because <laughs> we're, we're trying to cover off all our business rules and all of our, you know, legal stuff and whatever else. So, um, but but even actually, I know you mentioned, you even went as far, you mentioned Audi, which again is another brand I'm, I'm a huge fan of, and I'm sure they loved the proposition. And even as far as insurance and white goods. So a very comprehensive uh, home-based, I guess, lifestyle approach to the program. Yeah, we used to talk internally about um, the Airpoints house and um, and having um, a lot of your, um, I guess, typical interactions um, earning Airpoints and and treating that as a as a very smart decision and and that's that's taking the view that if you're if you're buying a car and you're choosing between an Audi, a BMW, or a Mercedes, they're yeah. all good options. What's the what's the differentiator um, yeah. apart from the brand? And and yeah, the 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 addition of Airpoints to that and the the demographic of the base as well was an attractive fit. Mm. Um, and and I think to um, attaching Airpoints to regular household spend categories, um, particularly with engaged customers, drives a lot of retention and stickiness. So there's a great two-way story. It drives loyalty to the Airpoints product, mm. which which ultimately um, translates to um, uh, revenue bookings on, on, on New Zealand flights, but it also um, helps businesses solve particular problems of their own. So um, mm. if it's retention, um, being able to talk to Airpoints as a, as a loyalty currency certainly helps with that. It's an attractive mm. acquisition currency. Um, mm. it, it's also um, demonstrated great stickiness as well. So once you're in, once you're paying with a credit card, once you're double dipping on on each end of the transaction, yeah. it becomes a really compelling proposition. And it, you know, um, this is the you know was the dominant carrier and still is the dominant carrier in New Zealand. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and and firmly in the mm. hearts and minds of New Zealanders. Yeah, yeah. And I always love double dipping. So again, with my, you know, points junkie hat on, my goodness, you know, and particularly with big product spends and big, you know, lifetime investments like you're talking about there to be able to get the credit card size, side of it as well as, you know, as you said, the, the car brand. And my God, I'd say that was incredibly powerful on a commercial level, was it? Yeah, it was. And it, um, it, it it really helped the program, I guess, turbocharge their their growth aspirations, and and it went from being a, a program where you earn through flying to a program where you could really earn on the ground and and, and in between flying, and that that yeah. became really powerful because it just um, uh, provided a source of free cash flow to the airline. Um, it, it drove loyalty um, even when you weren't at the point of purchase because if you're yeah. um, you know, filling up your car, paying on an Airpoints credit card, earning on um, both sides of the transaction, um, mm. you you are displaying loyalty to the to the program and the scheme, and and that loyalty is effectively a guarantee 
your future revenue because once your points start yeah. to accumulate, you you get into that wonderful position of being able to to um, dream about how you're going to use them. And if that's as simple as a um, a flight um, down country mm. to see family or or mm. a, an upgrade on a on an international flight, it's um yeah. it it, it kind of it gives that kind of um, uniqueness of your own experience as well. Plus you know, the mm. ability to, to pull at a family level as well. Um, yeah. Really yeah. exciting as well when you've got a big family like me. Yeah, of course, Phil. Yeah, and, and I do think there's so many, you know, particularly airline po- uh, loyalty programs that are doing a great job of building their lifestyle propositions, but seem to be focused more on the, the let's say, day-to-day spend. So the, you know, whether it's the grocery retailer or the fashion retailer. Um, so I think you just took it to an extra level there. So Definitely a fascinating case study and uh, hopefully one that uh, I'm sure you're super proud of. And I guess what's what's in my mind now, Phil, is how on earth were you tempted away from that role? Because certainly for me, with my airline background, it's a really exciting sector and definitely where you get the power clearly to, to create propositions um, and to be truly innovative. So so what tempted you away from, uh, from your time with Air New Zealand? Um, it was probably uh, a role in high-performance sport. Um, so I got, I got the opportunity to go and apply a lot of what I'd learned in corporate life to um, uh, the success of New Zealand on the international stage at, at an Olympic level. And that was something that was always really attractive to me. And yeah. and I, I enjoyed that opportunity over the time that I was there in terms of um, commercialising some of the activities of the New Zealand Olympic Committee as well. But mm. um, they say that aviation gets into your blood a little bit and it certainly yeah. – it certainly got into mind to a degree um, because I think in in a lot of the loyalty businesses I've worked at, um, the, the cutting edge stuff has typically originated out of um, aviation programs, and that holds true in New Zealand with um, yeah. in New Zealand Airpoints and, and Qantas Frequent Flyer over in Australia as well. And and those those guys have typically been the first ones to harness the power of their data um, to to really focus in on the customer experience, and then. You mm-hmm. see other industries start to narrow in on that and see that opportunity and start to apply it to different categories like like retail, for example, um, mm-hmm. seeing it a lot in financial services. Um, I think there's a big emerging opportunity in um, in med tech as well. So there's a there's a bunch of stuff that I think mm-hmm. um, can um, have loyalty applied to it. But the 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 vanguard has always been um, the aviation programs out front. Mm, absolutely. So MedTech is definitely one that, um, you know, caught my attention there. But yeah, just the uh, the New Zealand Olympic Committee stuff, that sounds absolutely fascinating. I think I mentioned to you off air, I have some, again, just personal um, friends involved with the um, the Irish Olympic Committee. So I've already committed myself. I don't know about you, Phil, but I'm determined to get to Paris when the Olympics come round because I feel like we totally missed out, obviously, this year. I'm not sure if I could have afforded to go to Tokyo, but uh, hopefully get there at some point. Yeah, it's certainly nothing um, fires up your heart like seeing your country do well on the national stage and there's nothing yeah. like the Olympics to to kind of be the outward demonstration of um, of pride in your yeah. um, in your country and 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 yeah you know, I guess um, the pinnacle of an athletic achievement and um, yeah. yeah selfishly speaking I'd love to uh, I'd love to get to Paris as well. Um, it would be yeah it would be tremendous. Excellent. Excellent. So tell us then, I know you did a stint also with Qantas um, heading up uh, New Zealand's frequent flyer business as country manager. So tell us about your time with uh, with Qantas. Yeah, um, a, another great um, experience with uh, a, a really tremendous company and Qantas. Um, so 
um, I came on board as part of a, a Qantas strategy that that re- really focused on New Zealand. So three things happened. They um, they set up a um, a loyalty business in New Zealand, which I was privileged to lead. Um, they introduced competition on the Trans-Pacific um, route out of Auckland to Los Angeles um, mm. in a JV with American Airlines. So, mm. so that brought a, a lot of um, focus onto that, and that had a, um, a downstream benefit for customers um, in terms of prices. Um, and then lastly, they started flying um, their low-cost brand Jetstar on domestic routes in New Zealand as well. So wow. it, it had flown the main trunk for a number of years, but it started to add um, mm. a number of our um, regional centres, uh, Napier, New Plymouth, Palmerston North and Nelson. Mm. So um, the 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 I guess the triangulation of those three um, strategy pieces um, mm. was really exciting to, mm. to be part of that business in New Zealand as well. And um, very different, I would I would say to Air New Zealand. So um, the the two brands have a um, a kind of a, a healthy respect, but almost a frenemy <laughs> kind of relationship. Oh, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, Ki- Kiwis and Aussies. Um, totally. You know, I was sitting in the in the Qantas office in in New Zealand and and seeing the All Blacks get ready to play the Wallabies, who had Qantas emblazoned on their chest. So um, yeah. that was always a, an interesting dilemma. But oh um, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, but a real. Um, uh, an absolute hotbed of of loyalty um, knowledge and experience, and I, I learned a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of how they operate, the the scale and um, and um, intellectual property that they've bought to aviation programs globally, mm. and um, and just a, a, a very big, um, but extremely well run business. Yeah, yeah. And actually, when I think back, Phil, um, when you know my loyalty background and certainly all of my listeners do as well at this stage. But I suppose when I went from, you know, running one loyalty program in Ireland in a telco business to really appreciating um, the the profitability or the power of, of, you know, potential profit was actually a story I heard about Qantas um, in Australia. And it was with Loyalty Magazine, in fact, to run, you know, or used to run certainly lots of conferences and uh, I remember there the the um the lady Anish McIntosh who um runs that event talking about Qantas's frequent flyer revenue which I remember she said was exceeding the international revenue for the airline and I nearly fell off my seat Phil so I'm sure it's certainly not news to you with with your incredible background but I still think there's a lot of loyalty professionals don't realize, particularly maybe the Australian market just has it nailed better than anybody else, but it's extraordinary how much money flows through the airline loyalty programs. Yeah, it's incredible. And I think that um, COVID's probably um, brought that into even sharper focus. So with um, yeah. jets being grounded and and flying being at a, a minimum compared to what a typical schedule would be, um, mm. the the ability for the airlines to, um, to earn revenue through um, ancillary yeah. activities like the loyalty programs has become yeah. more and more critical to their to their ongoing um, profitability. Mm, fabulous, fabulous. So now you're in a completely different space with Countdown, which I know is a fantastic grocery brand um, across New Zealand. I think you told me 190 stores nationwide. So super excited to hear all about that program. And I know you heard as well, by the way, we, we already had our first Kiwi um, loyalty program story with uh, with your friends in AA Smartfield recently. So, um, so you guys all work super closely together. 
Yeah, um, we do, and I, I particularly enjoyed that episode with um, with Ian and Jordan as well, and we we work yeah, really yeah. closely with them. Um, so, uh, countdown for context is um, part of Woolworths Group. Um, okay. Uh, the the biggest single uh, supermarket brand in New Zealand. Um, mm has uh, had a, a really strong performing business uh, in the loyalty space called OneCard for mm-hmm. um, many years, um, okay. over 20 years now. And wow. um, for the last five and a half years, um, has been partnered with um, AA SmartFuel, the business that um, that Ian co-founded. And and the, the two brands coming together um, enabled um, AA SmartFuel customers to to earn at Countdown as well, and also okay. enabled Countdown customers to earn um, AA Smart Fuel cents per litre discounts nice. um, yeah. as well. And and that's important in New Zealand because our average salaries are low compared to many mm-hmm. other um, countries in the world, and okay. our price of fuel is very high. And we have a, a, okay. a, a population that's still quite wedded to, to driving their cars everywhere. So um, anything you can do at a at a household level to reduce the cost mm. of a tank of gas is is something that Kiwis really seize on, and the the success of the, the smart fuel business is um, proof positive of that. And mm. and and that partnership is, 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 I believe, delivered real value for both parties. Wonderful, wonderful, and just very impressive as well to hear that one card itself is around for more than twenty years. So um, maybe tell us a bit about the proposition and exactly, you know, how you work. Um, I think particularly, I suppose, Phil, what I'm always interested in because I've never worked in grocery loyalty is perhaps you know how it works, of course, for consumers, but also with um, maybe suppliers. You know, so whether some of the manufacturing brands get involved in the program and how it all then comes together for the consumer yeah sure so um the one card programs is really simple and i think as you um uh, move uh, further down the development of loyalty programs simplicity becomes key and we've we've looked mm-hmm. at that at a um at a program level for some time so how it works is um for every dollar you spend in store you earn one point so okay. it's all nice and clear and transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, when you reach 2,000 points, um, you get a an, an automatic e-voucher, and that's um, okay. served up to you through the point of sale. Um, so you'll be scanning your groceries, and it'll say, you've got a $15 voucher. Would you like to use it today or save it for another day? Um, mm-hmm. So it's always a nice surprise, a bit of a surprise mm-hmm. and delight. Mm-hmm. Um and along with that, we've got um, our one card specials as well. So typically, we have um, a number of items um, on sale each week that um, that attract double points or two for one, um, mm. and they're um, specials that are unlocked by swiping your your one card um, through nice. the point of sale. And and that drives, I guess, a little bit of the um, instant gratification as you're as you're trending your way up to to the rewards yeah. event as well. And yeah. and how it works, particularly with regard to AA. Smart Fuel is that um, at the start of the program, you uh, you elect to earn either the one card currency, one card points, or mm-hmm. cents per litre discounts um, in the AA Smart Fuel program. And then your okay. your comms and your journey are, are very much customised down that pathway. Okay. Um, and and more recently, and and to address your other question. Um, Advances in our technology stack and um, and our desire to bring more value to customers um, has seen us start to move into boosts. And boosts are um, kind of what they say, um, an opportunity for you to boost your points balance or boost your um, 
CPL balance. And and they can be a mix of either supplier funded, so buy two bottles of Coca-Cola hypothetically and get yeah. uh, bonus CPL or bonus one card points, or they can be um, derived from our own data set as well. So um, in the case of me, for example, it might notice that I have a a predilection for a certain type of beer, and it can give me a, a, an offer to try a new beer within that category, or mm. um, or try a different um, a different but similar category mm. as well. So that's um, that's a really powerful tool, um, mm. and it's bringing our data set to life in a way that's really focused yeah. in on the customer, and it, it's also focused in at a um, at a, um, a really efficient level as well, because you only pay for that discount when you've got customer engagement. And, yeah, yeah. and that, that gives you, the, I guess, the information that the offer is right and it's attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if it's if it's not right and it's not attractive and it's not taken up by the consumer, there's no cost to the business for putting that up. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, performance-based marketing. It's um, it's a fabulous term and a fabulous concept. And and can I ask how the, the suppliers uh, generally react because again, I'm trying to get a sense of the level of sophistication because I, I do have this feeling that in grocery, there's a lot more expertise that, that again, I haven't had visibility of or, or just experience working with. So, so I'm really keen to hear, you know, how, how um, aware, like, are they coming to you to access the, the, the loyal base of customers or does it tend to be coming maybe from a countdown perspective to, to build the education around it? Yeah, it's probably a mixture of the two. Um, there's certain brands and certain manufacturers that definitely come to us because they've um, either participated in the one card program previously with club prices and they've seen the value and the the, mm. the impact that can have for their business. And then there's there's um, opportunities where where Countdown will engage with with supply partners um, to to present certain opportunities as well, which they can choose to take up. And it's, okay. um, nice. yeah, it's, so it's a, it's a kind of very collaborative approach. It's not, um, it's not yeah. driven massively either way. It's, it's probably a balancing act of the two. And, mm. um, and because it's really important to the business that we, um, we make the right offer at the right time for the right person. And what's, what's right for you might not be right for me. And the, the old mm. approach of um, spray and pray is, is something that we're trying to do away with and be a, a lot more, yeah, targeted, yeah. but um, but really, really address that balance between um, knowing you and showing you value, um, yeah. and crossing the line into um, into potentially um, you know, showing you too much or or or, yeah. or making the wrong offers. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I think um, as as a community of marketeers and certainly loyalty marketeers, I do think we have the um, very clear understanding that we want to be treated with respect ourselves as individuals. And definitely, I think that's translated into how we run our loyalty programs, thank God. Whereas, um, actually, I heard a shocking story the other day, which is, you know, again, just more around, you know, how cookies do track our behavior sometimes in ways that makes us a little uncomfortable um, or sometimes very uncomfortable. So um, I, I do think as, you know, loyalty data owners, I think we have just that mindset of, you know, respecting the data and using it in a, in a much more powerful way. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, firstly, compliance is our, our license to, to operate and we take that really seriously. Um, yeah. and, and secondly, we, we're custodians of some great brands and um, we want those brands to be um, yeah. represented the right things and you know yeah. it's a it's a, a nightmare to think that um, a lack of attention to detail could see a, a great company 
yeah. um, on the front page of the newspaper for the wrong reasons, and we don't we, we don't want that. We oh, we, absolutely. we absolutely want to yeah um, yeah want to comply with the rules and do things the right way. Absolutely, yeah. And again, what I always love about the CPG sector or any manufacturing brand is their understanding of what consumers do want. You know, so their own kind of brand integrity does always come through in everything they execute. And I think what I particularly like what you said there, Phil, is that they're coming back to you, you know, having seen success with campaigns in the past, because again, like I've worked in the media business and not every form of media works. So when you have an advertiser or, you know, somebody coming to sponsor or support a campaign with you, it's just a vote of confidence. I think that you're doing good work all around. It is. And it's also something that I think really supports, um, the increased visibility and transparency that business wants today. So if you're if you're making the investment, you want to know that that investment's translated to the yeah. outcome you're trying to solve for. And if that's um, selling more bags of potato crisps, great, because we can actually use our data set to track that. We, we know how many people we've got. We know how many people buy potato chips. We know how many people have opted in to receive offers about potato chips. So we can, mm. we can present a, a really compelling audience to a third yeah. party like that. And mm. yeah, provided we, um, we take the appropriate um, yeah, customer yeah. consents, which is yeah, back to that license to yeah. to proceed. We um, yeah, and and I think that gives you great measurability as well mm-hmm. versus taking out a um, an ad on the um, the middle pages of the newspaper or totally. a thirty second TVC. Um, it can often be a bit tough. Well, I, I've often said, like, I don't know how I would sleep at night if I was trying to make those decisions because the attribution and the, you know, the measurability is just too hard for me. You know, clearly it has an incredible role to play. But um, yeah, we, we definitely share that love of seeing what comes through. And again, on the back of a strong, respectful relationship, I just think is, is probably why we all love working in the loyalty business. Yeah, that, and I think the variety. Um, True. I've, yeah, just I, I reflect often that um, there's very few industries that expose you to multiple other industries, and and loyalty is that you can be talking to a telco in the morning, a um, insurer in the afternoon, yeah. and a, a, ve- a vehicle manufacturer in the evening, and yeah, yeah. and it's it, it, that variety keeps you interested. It, it broadens your own business acumen. Um, it builds out your network. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a, a really interesting topic. And everybody mm. has a story or a question or anything um, like that that they often want to ask about loyalty. So it does engage people a lot. Mm, for sure, for sure. And just on a very, um, I suppose, practical detail, Phil, um, I, I was doing a couple of shows recently just looking at the form of identification. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Countdown has various different uh, options. I'm sure there's a physical and a digital option for the one card. But the reason I just want to ask about it, because, it, you know, it's normally not something that would even be a question in my mind, but certainly research coming out of both Australia and South Africa have shown just in the last couple of years that the actual physical card seems to be having a resurgence of popularity, which in a time where I thought we were all going digital, I thought we were all going contactless. And, you know, I'm pretty clear that my phone's the only thing I'm always going to have with me. What's your experience with Countdown in terms of how customers want to identify themselves? Yeah, it's um, it, it's a real mix of the two. So we've got um, a, a 
and within New Zealand at a, a demographic level, we've, we've got quite an aging population. So we've got a, a cohort of, um, I guess, baby boomers that are that are reaching retirement age, and they okay. uh, they strongly identify with um, scanning their plastic card, mm-hmm. keeping it in their wallet or purse, and scanning that in the network. And there's a there's a mm-hmm. habitual kind of reassurance in doing that. Um, okay. Yeah. And against that, we've got very high mobile penetration, um, fantastic um, fiber broadband nationwide, um, and a, a real rise in, in, in digital natives that are that are scanning um, at every opportunity. And we um, we have ambitions um, around being a digital first business, but we also recognise that um, as a retailer, we 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 engage the way our customers would like us to engage, and mm. and that's um that's leading on digital, but but having backup options as well that are that are more traditional. Okay. Okay. So it is following the, I suppose, cliched demographics, but um, what we would expect. So it's not that there is a a younger cohort that is saying, actually, we like to have the card. It is following exactly what I guess we'd expect traditionally. Yeah, it it is kind of traditional. And I think that there's been some other causal factors like, um, well, COVID, for example, the heightened sensitivity around hygiene and hand washing um, and contactless as well. And that that does drive a lot back through the app. So you can control how clean your hands are. You can control how clean your phone is. um, Mm -hmm. And if you're in an environment where you're the only one touching things, it it brings a reassurance all of its own as well. So yeah. I think there's definitely going to be um, thought and consideration for that moving forward as we as we navigate this globally. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, you know, and, and I do feel like, you know, some countries are starting to emerge from from the pandemic. I know obviously there, you know, you, you guys are still um, still struggling. I know a lot. So, again, sending all of the, you know, best possible uh, support and energy oh. to, to get you guys through it. Yeah, um, it, it's still you're, you're still in lockdown, if I'm right, haven't you at the moment? Yes, we are. We've had um, six weeks here in New Zealand, um, in mm-hmm. Auckland, where I am now. We've um, we're just in our second week of what we call level three. So that's um, that's okay. a full lockdown, work from home, no school, um, but with wow. takeaway yeah. coffee and Uber Eats, which is great. Um, okay. Level yeah. four, you don't have the coffee or the Uber Eats. You're, mm-hmm. you're literally. Um, at home the whole time, and and you know New Zealand's had a, a tremendous run with um, with yeah. COVID in a sense, our, our, our isolation and, and strong um, mm. action early in 2020 um, insulated us for a while. But I think the um, yeah. the Delta strain has just um, infiltrated the world, and, and we're no different. I mean, I think we're we're yeah. protected by the Pacific Ocean, but um, yeah. you know it, it it did get back into New Zealand a while back, and it's um, it's been a, a lockdown. But um, vaccinations the key, and we yeah, yeah again look to a country like Ireland, um, number mm. two on Bloomberg's rankings now for um, for openness. Um, wow. Yeah, and oh. and incredible. New Zealand's dropped um, all the way to thirty eighth, but yeah. um, but that's, that's cyclical. I mean, I think you guys had that with your winter. You, you vaccinated effectively and now you're opening up to the world again and we're yeah. we're coming out of winter into summer um, mm. starting to vaccinate effectively and and God willing we'll, we'll open up as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Well listen, thanks for the update on that side Phil and, and I guess the reason I was thinking about that is it has you know obviously dominated conversation for the last 18 months um, and to the detriment of you know another probably the most important topic in my mind, which I think loyalty is moving into, and I know you're very passionate about, which is the whole area of sustainability. Um, And I really think loyalty increasingly has a role to play to, I suppose, first of all, 
you know, incentivize behaviors that are sustainable for the planet and for, I suppose, even at a local level. Um, so I'd love you to talk me through any insights you have in terms of how loyalty and sustainability are starting to, to come together in, in some ways. Yeah, it's um it's something I'm I'm personally passionate about and, and something that I think is a is a big opportunity. So um for a long time I've thought that the audiences that we can um reach through loyalty um are, are significant. And the and what we're hearing bottom up in our research is that um consumers are more and more aware of their impact on the planet, um their mm. their own impact as a as a personal citizen and the impact that brands and companies have and how they feel about those brands and companies um due to yeah. environmental or sustainability concerns. And mm. and I think there's a real role for loyalty to play there as well. And we've through our, our partnership with AI smart fuel we've got access to to carbon click as a as a redemption option so a, a carbon offsetting program but i think there's more we can do um at our own level within countdown and you mm. see that roll out through um uh campaigns like um removing plastic from stores but i mm. think there's a there's a real role for loyalty to um at a macro level help drive um consumer advocacy towards more sustainable solutions, and, and that can be as simple as um, incentivising low carbon options, um, incentivising low plastic options with loyalty points, incentivising um, healthy, mm. fresh options versus highly packaged options, and that has mm. a societal benefit as well. And mm. and one thing Countdown's very focused on is being um, good and green for New Zealand, and that's um, you know sustainability is right in the wheelhouse. And and if you extrapolate that further, when we um, talk as a as a steering committee of of companies that are engaged in loyalty. There's um, the the one thing that every company does, irrespective of their industry, sustainability is is near the top of their agenda. So loyalty yeah. has a role to play, I guess, in bringing that together, um, harnessing all of the um, the coalition effect that loyalty can deliver, but but focusing it on something rather than just for personal gain, for planetary gain. And mm-hmm. whoever can crack that, I think will um, will take their customer engagement to a whole new level, yeah. and that's um, and that will that will have obviously economic benefits as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that absolutely, Phil. And again, I'm actively, you know, inviting anybody listening who does have solutions in this space, obviously, to reach out because, you know, I see, you know, one of the things I can do is maybe share messages about solutions that are out there. So um, I've certainly talked with Earth Rewards in the past, one great solution out of the UK. But um, again, anyone who's looking at doing something, you're absolutely right. We need, I think we need all the help we can get, Phil. So, um, so amazing to hear that Countdown is really focusing on that yeah and i think it's it's only going to become more apparent in in future years as well i think we're, we're breeding yeah. a generation of people in new zealand that um yeah, yeah. that are, are going to take this way more seriously than than, than my generation and you know, I, yeah i like to think that we took it seriously but um what what's coming through is a, is a whole different approach and that's that's super exciting it is yeah yeah and and there is a lot of criticism of of younger generations as we know because <laughs> maybe you just get to a point where we we have to start comparing ourselves to our our kids and our friends kids or whatever but you're absolutely right you know um that there really is an incredible uh, level of dedication to fixing it and and fixing it properly um and to having more integrity around you know the planet and what it does for us and again one of the bizarre you know as we talked about um effects of covid is you know there has been some environmental relief almost um obviously at a huge cost but um probably did show people what's possible yeah, I agree. I think pros and cons. I think um, amazing um, impacts on things like water purity. Um, you see it yeah. walking around 
around um, the foreshore of Auckland, the, the harbour looks great um, because we're not using it so much. Um, yeah. But what you do also see is disposable masks floating in there. And that's, yeah. um, that's something that pre-COVID we wouldn't have seen um, at any sort of level. So it's you know, with the planet, you don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul. You've, we've only got one planet. So um, yeah, yeah. M- making the most of it for future generations and custodians is, is mm. hugely important. Yeah, for sure. And speaking also of future generations, Phil, uh, I think you know my, my other favorite topic then is, is really innovation um, and any ideas or suggestions or I suppose just your general thoughts on what we as loyalty professionals should be looking out for, um, you know, to cut through. Because again, I think particularly airlines, I suppose, you know, we've done so much, um, but I often hear criticism that people do get a bit jaded if they just hear points uh, coming through. So what else do you think we can do as loyalty professionals to uh, to really excite our members? I think there's probably um, a couple of things and one's one's not exciting as such, but I, but I think it will be really powerful. And that's, um, that's taking steps to reduce complexity in programs and really drive simplicity. Um, we see so much um, uh, legalese and jargon attached to our industry that it, it can be off-putting for people that aren't um, intimately involved. And, yeah. and I, I see in New Zealand at the moment, we're um, looking at a, um, a parliamentary act on a plain language bill, and I think the role for loyalty there is really exciting. If we can, mm. if we can um, destigmatise the language um, and destigmatise yeah. um, some of the confusion, I think you engage more people more often. And and for yeah. me, the the big battle has always been. Um, uh, to win the hearts and minds, you need to reach them first, and and that engagement is is really critical. And uh, we don't often, as an industry, do ourselves any favours with, um, yeah. you know, buy buy this, get that, um, asterisks, pages and pages <laughs> of T's and C's, and all of that kind of stuff. And I think there's there's okay. definitely steps we can take there around innovation there, which is. Yeah. entirely unsexy, but will have a great practical application. Um, and that's something yeah. um, I'd like to see New Zealand really leading the way on as well. Mm. And I'll just pick up on that actually, Phil, before you move on, because my rule when I was negotiating partnerships, because uh, I love the way you've explained it there, I always said you can have one asterisk, as in you can have one but. <laughs> so, you know, you could say here, you know, it's valid, you know, six days a week, um, but after 6 p.m., for example, like that was totally fine. As long as there was only one condition, once somebody started adding in multiple uh, parameters, you know, we all glaze over as customers. And I think you're absolutely right. I did a full show on simplicity as a business principle. So I really, really definitely agree with what you're saying. So we've almost um, given ourselves ridiculous complexity, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it probably erodes trust, um, particularly amongst people that aren't, um, aren't involved in it as uh, in their day-to-day life like you and I are, I think the the more we can keep it at a, um, a legally compliant yet conversational level, I, I mm. think that's that's going to be incredible to, to destigmatize it for people as well because it, yeah, you know, people's eyes glaze over very quickly these days as well and no one's got time to necessarily mm. read four or five pages of T's and C's in some cases even more. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah we've got a duty of care to, to tell people what we do in, in plain language and, um, and, and stand by it as well. Mm. And, and I will just uh, quote you as well. Actually, I do love when people come out with uh, with words of wisdom, Phil. So to win hearts and minds, you have to reach them first. I think that's that's a gorgeous concept. Oh, thank you. Yeah, mm. it's um, engagement is I think the single 
most critical thing that I've come across in my entire loyalty career. So um, mm. you can uh, you can have the greatest program in the world, but if it's not engaging for customers, you haven't got a chance. And yeah. and I, I observe that um, our lives are getting busier um, in a lockdown environment. We're, we're so um, attached to our computers, mobile phones, um, tablets, et cetera, um, yeah. and we're bombarded with messages. So to really stand out, you've got to engage people and that, talks to you know what's the what's the single commodity you can never get back and that's time so if mm. you win the eyeballs of people for longer mm. you will ultimately win the game and that's mm. um that's something that we're really passionate about in, in our business now um mm. we you know we're, we're in an industry that's not a unique industry uh, our competitors um offer similar products and do a wonderful job um yeah of course. Our, our battleground and differentiator is on earning that engagement and then translating that engagement into repetition mm. and loyalty and that's um mm. the, the role that a, an effective loyalty program can play in that mm. engagement is just um mm. it's huge mm. wonderful wonderful so so any other innovations or trends phil that you think uh, in addition to simplicity yeah, look, I think one of the big trends that that I'm personally really excited about is um, probably the emergence of um, of SaaS platforms and composable architecture. So um, historically, okay. you know, um, yeah. heavy dependence on legacy systems, um, lots of manual workarounds, bolt-ons, um, trying yeah. to, um, I guess, you know, wring more blood out of a stone. Whereas with <laughs> um, with with SaaS platforms, it's it's instant, it's composable, it's user friendly, it's refreshable at a platform yeah. level as well. Um, yeah. It it helps you um, reduce organisational um, technology deficit, um, and I think it really helps um, organisations kind of rediscover their entrepreneurial mojo. And, and and what I mean by that is, with SaaS, it's a quick configuration that you can set up um, to test and learn at scale. And that's yeah. something that's um yeah. that's hugely exciting. So it's not it's not a huge exercise to to get underneath the hood of a massive legacy system. It's something that you can set up um, mm, at, mm. At, at your desk, and um, and then you can you can test quickly. Um, you can concentrate it by a region. You can do all, all types of things that I think really um, really enable businesses to um, uh, to go out and get as much data points and learning as possible, um, rather than just kind of saying, okay, we did yeah. some market research and the the 20 people that we talked to thought that this was a good idea. Um, mm -hmm. You can actually go and prove it with data um, and you mm -hmm. can test it over a short period, over a long period, run proof of concepts um, nationwide, um, mm -hmm. et cetera. And I, I just think that that's going to um, really open up a whole new world of creativity for mm -hmm. um, loyalty professionals. And I think it'll, it'll yeah. really help organizations um, make decisions with confidence as well. Yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I'll, I'll give a shout out to our mutual friend, Simon Rowles in um, in Australia from beyond, who uh, who introduced us to each other. And I think we've talked certainly on this show and again, just ourselves in conversation about, you know, the importance of people like Simon to translate tech into, you know, commercial, uh, affordable, um, agile solutions that certainly people like me who doesn't speak tech can understand the power of perhaps a new SaaS platform without being terrified that it's going to be, you know, one huge decision that I have to live with for 10 years. 
Yeah, spot on. And um, and Simon's the guru. He's um, incredibly yeah. well connected. Um, he's uh, got a great gift at, at translating um, co- concepts into reality. Um, he'd be yeah. perfect to oversee the the plain language bill for loyalty. He um, <laughs> totally. yeah, he, he speaks what the people want to hear. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I'll have to get him back on the show, Phil. And from what I'm hearing as well, it sounds like you're you're probably busy cooking away a couple of fabulous ideas there for countdown. So so from my side, I'm hoping we can stay in touch and. Uh, uh, certainly as uh, the months and years go by, we can, uh, you know, compare notes on other kind of ideas and innovations that we've launched, uh, certainly in the New Zealand market. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, that would be wonderful. And I think New Zealand's got some great um, other potential areas too. Like I think um, we like to think of ourselves as um, the the Tasman Sea as a, as a ditch. So when we talk about crossing the ditch, that's going to Australia. And I think that <laughs> when you when you look at look at loyalty in our part of the world, I don't think anybody's got a truly um, Australasian interoperable program yet. And okay. yeah. something like a SAS could could really stand that up. And um, yeah. and that's, you know, that's tremendously exciting to think that that's something that could could happen in our lifetimes as well. So to give a seamless customer experience, not only in your country, but actually in yeah. somebody yeah. else's country, I, I think would be incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you make perfect sense, Phil, um, that there is extraordinary potential. And in a market, which, as you already explained at the very beginning of our conversation, if 95% of Kiwis are engaging with loyalty programs, the appetite is fundamentally there. I'm sure it's a similar level in Australia. I don't have the figure top of mind, but Clearly, you're doing amazing work, Phil. Um, it's a very exciting market. Um, I'm loving watching and obviously listening to what you're doing. Um, that's all the questions I have from my side. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up? Um, you're always welcome to come to New Zealand, Paula. Um, Irish people have settled in New Zealand for many generations. And um, and we, we promise that um, we make great wine and we'll make you feel very welcome. Oh, that's fabulous. My goodness. Well, with an invitation like that, it's definitely going on to, to the wish list. So listen, Phil Devlin, thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 170 executives in 20 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews and thanks again for supporting the show.